0: This is chapter 5 of You Are Not Alone. This too shall pass.
1: i the you sick ones, pray to God.
0: Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone, a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and play a spooky game. This week is a really great episode and I can't wait for you to hear it. Before that, though, a little bit of housekeeping. First, if you like what I've been doing, it would mean the world to me if you would submit an iTunes review. Even if you don't use iTunes, but have an account available, those reviews really help other folks find the podcast, and it's just about the single best gift you can give to a podcaster. Also, I have a Patreon and Ko-Fi, both under Blaine C. Martin. I just bought some upgraded sound equipment to improve my podcasts, and I have monthly hosting fees, so the cost of running these podcasts is mounting. I really love doing it, so that isn't ever going to stop me. But if you want to help defer those costs, it would mean a lot. You can check out both of those options to help out. Finally, if you want to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter at Esmeraldapod or shoot me an email, Blaine, that's B-L-A-I-N-E, at you are not alone So this week, we're playing Dead Friend. Dead Friend is a really amazing, tarot-driven story game about two friends. One who has recently died, and one who is still alive and trying to bring their lost friend back from the dead. Through a series of acts divided into elements of the necromantic ritual, you explore the people around these friends, their shared history, and the death. In the final act, a conflict erupts between the two friends, and you resolve that. Dead Friend is available on Drive through RPG and was designed by Lucian Khan. It is a beautiful game and I definitely recommend picking it up. Coincidentally, Lucian Khan is my guest this week. I am so excited that I was able to get Lucian to come on and play this game with me. A warning: this episode features quite a bit of talk about cults, and also features a pretty intense love triangle. If those two things bother you, I just wanted you to be warned. So, enough rambling. Let's jump in. This week we have the creator of Dead Friend, Lucian Khan, here to play the game with me. Hey, Lucian, how's it going? Hi. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, I, I mentioned this in our uh, kind of pre-show chat. I've been waiting to play this game for ages, and I'm excited that uh. I get to actually sit down and play with you for the first time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I am absolutely ready to be a ghost. Excellent. I feel like uh, that could be the name of my memoir. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, why don't you start up by just telling, uh, telling the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you're working on, uh, where they can find you on the interwebs.
2: Hi. Um all right. So I am the designer of Dead Friend. Um the subtitle of this is A Game of Necromancy. And if you're interested in uh checking out this game after the podcast, it is available for purchase on drive through My Twitter handle is Theogony. It's O H underscore T H E O G O N Y. I am currently in the process of working on a new game called Visigoths versus Mallgoths, which is a, I call it a suburban fantasy. Um, It is set in a mall in a suburb of Los Angeles in 1996. And it's sort of an absurdist uh, romp um, where you get to play teenagers, you get to have embarrassing traits. It's, it's a really fun game, um, and I'm wrapping up design on that and planning on doing a Kickstarter um, in the fall of 2019. So that's where I'm focusing most of my attention at the moment.
0: That's awesome. I am so excited. Every little bit that I see you talk about Visigoths versus Mall Goths on Twitter, uh, it makes me more and more excited for this game. I think it's going to be so much fun.
2: I I am I'm really excited to share it with everyone.
0: Awesome. So, uh, I gave a little bit of a, of a summary of dead friend. Is there anything else you think needs to get added to that before we jump in?
2: Um, no, well, uh, let's just go on our spooky way. All
0: right, let's do it. So we, we established before uh, recording that I am going to be the living and you are going to be the dead. Yes. So by the rules, uh, which I'm looking at first, we should decide briefly a setting for the story
2: Yes. And one of the things that makes this game very replayable is that it can be set basically anywhere at any time. I have played it in caveman times. I have played it in the extreme future on other planets. I've played it in specific historical eras. I've played it in fantasy worlds. So it could be really literally any setting.
0: Yeah, just looking at the examples in the book, it ranges from uh, a shtetl to a Cold War submarine.
2: Yeah, and all of the all of this book suggestions are are real settings that have been played in in, uh, in real life by actual players, so it can really be set anywhere. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it a little bit up to you. Is there any particular time period or setting that that screams out to you?
0: I think I would like something at least semi modern.
2: Okay, um, maybe like 1970 after. Yeah, that sounds good. Do you have a place in mind? Nothing
0: right off the top of my head. Is there anything that you is there anything you haven't done that you've wanted to do?
2: Um, let's see. Well, the the interesting thing about the seventies is that we can definitely get into like weird cults or religious movements or communes or things like that if we want. I do. I was
0: actually uh, this year for Halloween a cult leader. Excellent. So i uh, I have I, I anything cult related. I'm down for.
2: Great. So yeah, I mean, we could do like, what about one of those like like sort of weird like post hippie cults that's like in a in like a rural part of the United States.
0: I like that kind of. You're waiting for the Moon Father to come and yeah deliver you from the oppression of
2: your mortal coil exactly that that sort of you know spooky stuff i love it and is there like a a, like a region of the country that mostly so that we know sort of our climate and stuff
0: um i was my gut reaction was nebraska but i just uh just recently did a midwest episode with jeff stormer oh yeah maybe like pacific northwest yeah like out in the like woods of uh, of Oregon.
2: Perfect. Let's do it. We're in the woods of Oregon. It's let's say it's like 1972, and we're in some kind of a of like a like a late hippie era cult commune, and we'll find out more about it as we play. Perfect. All
0: right. So we need to choose names. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go with looking at the list here.
2: I'm gonna go with Winter. Great. I am going to be I, I'm gonna be a man named Pine. Winter and Pine.
0: Um, I think Winter is a woman and she goes by Sister Winter. Excellent. Among the uh the
2: folks in the commune. I think that just to shake things up a little bit, I, I think that I go by Cousin Pine. <laughs> Cousin Pine. Cousin Pine.
0: That's a good Pacific Northwest country
2: name. Yeah, Cousin Pine.
0: Now go it's uh, choosing a central conflict, correct?
2: Yeah, so we have we have four options here, which are, are each named after tarot cards. Uh, I guess we should have mentioned at the beginning that, that this game uses tarot cards as randomization mechanic.
0: They're all so good. Like, having to make that choice is such <laughs> a painful choice.
2: Uh, we could we could randomize it, but I, I think we should... I'm going to let you decide, because I have played all of them extensively, and they're all a lot of fun.
0: Uh, I think... I think the devil.
2: Let's do it. That all just right. seems like too much fun. Yeah, let's do it. So that means that you winter wish to gain otherworldly power from me cousin pine whereas i cousin pine wish to own your soul i just love the juxtaposition of that that this is like a hippie
0: inspired (laughs) and it's like just the least kind of hippie
2: ideal yeah i'm really Uh, into that myself as well uh the the vile machinations of of rural oregonian hippies (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's one thing I learned from, uh, from Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So, now we will enter into part one, Earth and Water. So, I have my magic circle here in front of me. I have some salt, which I am going to sprinkle in a circle. I am placing my larger coin heads up slightly outside of the circle at the upper point of the pentagram over the east section and I am placing my star coin heads up on the altar I am preparing to perform a dangerous ritual of necromancy describe the scenes of your preparation so I think I am I think our little commune is like a little trailer park in a clearing in the middle of the woods I am in a shed, kind of out to the side of one of the trailers. It's nighttime. I am inside the shed. I can smell the pine trees that are so close to this shed. I can hear owls hooting. I can hear the creak of the branches. I can see the dirt in which I have begun to draw ancient symbols. What's it smell like? I think there's a little bit of pine but mostly it's just kind of musty dirt, a little bit of the smell of fresh-cut grass. Mm -hmm. I think maybe one of the other members mowed earlier. Cool.
2: Well, I have died recently, and I am new to the realm of the dead, and I'm going to describe to you that realm. So, in juxtaposition to the sort of earthy, grassy environment in in the commune where I used to live. The Land of the Dead is entirely made of ice. It's the kind of sort of cerulean ice that you see if you look down into a fissure in a glacier. It's a little bit too bright of a blue. But... It's not cold. There is, in fact, no temperature in the land of the dead. So it looks like a sort of glacial expanse. But I can't feel any any coldness on my skin. And I'm not sure if I even have senses. Like, I'm not sure if what I'm experiencing as a sort of Arctic snowy, ashy smell is really a smell that I'm smelling with, with the sense of smell or whether it's a memory of smell that I'm experiencing because I'm in what looks to be a glacial place. And as I sort of, Cast my sight on the horizon of this endless glacial expanse. It seems like there may be some kind of a a steam rising from the ice at the horizon point.
0: I place my finger on the star coin. At some time before dying, your friend gave you an important object represented by this coin. Describe the object. I think Cousin Pine, at some point in our past, gave me – it almost looks like a club, but it's the branch of a tree. And in it is carved the phrase, this too shall pass. Cool. It's still mostly got most of its bark. It's a little gnarled, and there's just a clear cut piece in the center where the words are etched in in kind of shaky knife print
2: these coins that you have around the pentagram and in the circle are ritual objects and over the course of the ritual the circle coin will travel around the circle visiting each of the four cardinal directions at the same time the star coin travels to each of the five points of the pentagram together the two coins mark both the passage of time and the character's journey through the elements. For the rest of the game, whenever the circle coin moves around the circle, both of us will hum softly. Also, for the rest of the game, whenever the star coin moves to a different location, the dead, that is me, I will say, a word from beyond followed by a single word.
0: The Ritual of Earth. The living and the dead remember their shared community before the death. I invoke Earth with the following three motions. First, to form an invoking pentagram of Earth, place your finger at the spirit point on the pentagram, then move toward Earth. Trace the entire pentagram with your
2: fingers. And as you do this, we will hum.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Second,
0: move the star coin to the earth point of the pentagram.
2: A word from beyond. Dissolution.
0: Third, I will slide the circle coin around the circle, counterclockwise
2: to north, the cardinal direction of earth. So now I am going to shuffle the discs. So I'm shuffling tarot cards. This is the suit of discs.
0: Excellent. May I ask which uh, which tarot deck you're using?
2: This happens to be the Robin Wood Tarot, which actually is pretty appropriate for this, this story. It has a lot of sort of like antlery sort of people on it. All right, so I have here two cards for each of us. I have the Ten of Disks, or Pentacles, and the Six of Pentacles, and you have the Eight of Pentacles, and the Three of Pentacles. So we can look at our, at our legend and see what these will mean. As we sort of figure out their meanings, we will be describing people in the shared community, so in this commune um, where Sister Winter and Cousin Pine used to live. So either one of us can go first.
0: I think I can go first with my three, someone who is humble and helpful. Great. So I think it's not like the leader, but the oldest living member of our community goes by Grandpa June. Grandpa June is a a man maybe in his early 90s and is still kind of surprisingly spry with a kind of like neatly trimmed – pure white beard and kind of crazy white hair and he's someone who's lived i think most of us i know at least sister winter and a few other folks came from more suburban life before coming here Mm -hmm. uh whereas grandpa june was born and will die in the country and has survived everything that this land could throw at him and so whenever we need advice or something fixed that none of us really know how to fix grandpa june always seems to know how to fix it
2: cool all right i am going to use my 10 of pentacles to talk about someone intelligent and forgotten so there is a witch by the name of Yarrow. She's called Yarrow the Witch. And she lives inside a a really massive, hollowed-out tree on the perimeter of the community. It's, like, one of those trees that has, like, endless rings in its in its trunk and even the branches themselves seem almost the size of a legitimate tree it's been there forever uh, and yarrow the witch nobody knows how she hollowed out this tree but she lives inside of it and the entire tree is covered in in moss and in and in little out growths of mushrooms and The entire area has this weird, dank smell, and there are stories that Yarrow the Witch is the true founder of the community, but they don't make any sense because she's actually only what seems to be like maybe in her mid-30s. But there are stories that, that she's actually much older and that she has some kind of magical power that, that keeps her looking uh, eternally young. Grandpa June has told these stories, but nobody knows whether or not he's telling the truth.
0: I feel like that's the true sign of a good, old,
2: just old guy character. You never know. Yeah. So Yarrow the witch, she's she's very intelligent, but the sense in which she's forgotten... Right. She's intelligent in the sense that somehow she had the ingenuity to hollow out this massive tree and is somehow pretty much subsisting by herself, even though nobody talks to her anymore. And so we can assume that, that there's some kind of occult knowledge there. Um, but she's forgotten in the sense that nobody really talks to her anymore. Like nobody in the community interacts with her and she sort of lives on the outskirts. And she's also forgotten in the sense that nobody even really remembers her true origin.
0: That's so sad.
2: Yeah, but we'll find out. We'll find out how things go for her.
0: Yeah, I I have nothing but high hopes for Yarrow. Yeah. So that leaves me with an eight, which is someone productive and cheerful. All right, I think her name is going to be Dawn. And Dawn is actually not part of our community proper, uh, but Dawn's father Is someone that we've paid. He brings us supplies maybe every couple of weeks, twice a month, maybe. The stuff that we can't grow ourselves or build ourselves. Dawn's father comes in from the nearest town and brings us those things. And Dawn always comes with him, helps him make his deliveries. (laughs) Has a patch of freckles all over her face that in the summer just grow to cover every inch of her skin. Long strawberry blonde hair kind of bucked teeth. And like I said, she's just always always friendly, doesn't even though, you know, we're kind of a weird group. She doesn't ever seem to kind of cast judgment.
2: Mm-hmm. And we also have I have the 6 of pentacles, someone successful and generous. So there's this guy Todd who Sort of dresses in, like, really preppy, like, normal, sort of, like, business casual all the time. And doesn't really look like the sort of counterculture person who might be living in this commune. He basically bankrolls this entire project. So he... He sort of... It's not really clear whether or not he really believes in the principles of, of, communal living or whether like he sees this as some kind of like farming opportunity that he's investing in. So he's just kind of like a little bit socially inscrutable and really responsible for like at least 70% of, of the financial support of, of the infrastructure of the commune. <laughs> Oh, Todd. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's potentially nice of him. (laughs) We, We will find out if it's nice of him. All right. So these memories are beginning to stir up the environment in the realm of the dead. And here's what's happening. From my vantage point, it seems as if the steam that I saw on the far horizon is drawing closer and there's a kind of time dilation where it seems like it's gradually approaching, but there's like an exponential speeding up where as it starts crawling along the horizon, the steam sort of accelerates and like comes up to right in front of me. And the steam starts to condense and sort of fall onto the sheet of ice right in front of me. And I, I can't feel any temperature from the steam, but sort of in a single motion, the entire sheet of ice in front of me suddenly cleaves and breaks off. And there's a shattering sound and the entirety of the icy continent in front of me breaks off and starts drifting into the distance so that all i see before me is a black expanse of nothingness and a giant sheet of ice drifting into the distance until it disappears.
0: As I complete the ritual of Earth, my body feels somehow different. Describe the sensations. And I think what is happening as Sister June sits there and and completes this ritual, dragging her fingers along the pentagram that she has traced in the dust, it starts out as just this kind of pricking sensation. And then over the course of a few minutes, sister June realizes that her entire body has taken on that sensation of your leg falling asleep where every inch of her, she can feel that it exists, but it's, it's heavy. It's so much heavier than it ever was before. And there's almost this internal burning while at the same time she can't feel anything. There's no sensation and she tries to move. And it takes so much energy and force to even just make her arm twitch or make her toes wiggle. And she sits there dead frozen in this state of what is somehow both painful and pleasurable at the same time, trying to summon up the will to move on to the next ritual. The ritual of water. Like a eulogy, the living and the dead remember the details of their friendship. I invoke water with the following three motions. First, to form an invoking pentagram of water, I place my index finger on the air point. Then, moving towards water, I trace the entire pentagram with my finger. Second, move the star coin to the water point.
2: A word from beyond. Void. And
0: finally, I will slide the circle coin counterclockwise to west and hum as I do.
2: Okay, so we are going to be describing a past scene from the friendship between Sister Winter and Cousin Pine that corresponds to the prompts in The Water Legend. So we'll each be describing a scene. And though it is primarily about Winter and Pine, it must also include at least one community member that we have just described in The Ritual of Earth. You have the Nine of Cups... And I have the Ace of Cups. And either of us can go first. So I have the Ace of Cups, which is my earliest memory of my friend. When I first came to this community, I was in my late teens. I had actually run away from home, and I I had hitchhiked to this part of the of the woods of Oregon because I had I'd seen a flyer in a bar advertising this community that I, I could go live in where I was free I would be free from the tyrannical authority of, of the conformist culture around me and and I could learn to become knowledgeable about nature and and spirituality by being in the woods so i had hitchhiked all the way out to to this area and as i was hiking to the actual site of the commune i happened to pass by that that strange hollowed-out massive tree um, on the outskirts where Yarrow the Witch lived. And I didn't know anything of Yarrow the Witch. I had never heard the legends. But what I saw was a strange-looking young woman with gnarled hair and wild eyes and shoes made out of woven together vines and she was very urgently saying something or asking something of another young woman. This young woman looked different, more put together, somehow less wild, less unnerving. And the, the two of them spoke in in hushed and urgent whispers and then the more ordinary girl ran back in the direction of of the camp that i was going to um, with her hair billowing behind her and then the the witch sort of skulked back into her strange tree and it wasn't until i had made all of the introductions inside my new community that I learned that the, the girl who had run toward the camp was sister winter.
0: All right. So my nine gives me at some point you defended me against someone. So I think like I mentioned before, I was born in a relatively comfortable suburb of Portland and was maybe about 22 when i dropped out of college and came here and part of the reason that i dropped out of college was because my family had been comfortable but my father lost his job and all of this is to say todd knew me in my life before sister winter knew me by the name that I don't use anymore, um, it was actually Todd's father who owned the business uh, that my father worked at for so many years and was fired. And so, when the when the community was struggling, and it seemed almost like a blessing that Todd found us um, and started to kind of bankroll our needs, it was it was difficult for me. And I think there was one time where we were all eating together at the picnic tables in the center of the circle of trailers and Todd was invited to eat with us. And he sat down next to me and I stormed off and Todd followed and you cousin pine, you could sense that something was wrong. And so a few minutes later you followed. And when you came across us, I was I was screaming at Todd, and Todd pushed me, and you came running up, and you got between us, and seeing you there and remembering all of the care you've taken over the years to keep me safe, all of the anger kind of just flowed out of me. And as much as I hated seeing Todd there, as much as Todd reminded me of my life before being free, I knew that we needed Todd in that moment because you were protecting me from him. But you were also showing me that you were protecting him from me, I think, as well. And like I said, in that moment, I realized that as much as I might not like him, that hatred is something that we left in those old bodies with our old names. And that now we had to do whatever we had to do to keep this place, this circle
2: safe. Okay, I'm drawing two more cards for us. So you have the Six of Cups and I have the Eight of Cups. This time again, we are going to do the same thing, but this time we are going to use the other two community members that have not yet been part of one of these memories. Mm -hmm. We'll be each uh, doing a scene and we must include either Grandpa June or Dawn. So I am going to tell about a time that Sister Winter embarrassed me. So, soon after this incident with Todd, I got the sense that Sister Winter was kind of in trouble, like, that there was some weird tension, obviously, between her and Todd. I wasn't sure if she was going to incite something i wasn't sure if todd was going to come after her the the entire situation was really tense and i was sort of trying to do damage control because the last thing that i wanted in running away to to a new community was sort of mimicking the the constant fighting that went on in, in my house when when i still lived back with my parents so i i really wanted to find a way of keeping them apart and so i began to ask sister winter to come with me every time i went to pick up the deliveries from dawn and her father now dawn's father his name was bill and he was an a unusually handsome man he had extremely muscular arms and wore a flannel shirt rolled up at the sleeves. He had a big beard and a prominent nose and rugged bushy eyebrows. And he kind of looked like some kind of like, like a Husky. And I, I was strangely struck by Bill, and I I found that whenever I went to pick up supplies from Bill, I had this strange feeling that I wanted to spend more time with him, and I I felt like I wanted to learn how to split wood the way he did, and I wanted to learn how to like the right way of tying the right knots to secure supplies to the back of his pickup truck. And I just, I became fascinated with, with all of the ways that Bill did everything. And this one time when you and I, Pine and Winter, went to, to pick up supplies off the side of the road from, from Bill and Don... I guess you saw the way that I was looking at the two of them in the truck and you got the wrong idea. Like, I think you must have thought that I was looking at at Don and not at Bill. And when Bill came over carrying some supplies, you sort of made this joke that was like, oh, hey, Cousin Pine, I I guess maybe one day you and Don are going to have to get married. And I was completely mortified. It was not just, like, the feeling of, like, oh, my friend's teasing me. It was like, something is, is really wrong with this joke. Like, I'm not at all interested in this girl. And... I I don't want Bill to think that I am. Like I want him to I want I want him to think about me in a totally different way.
1: Hmm.
0: And Sister Winter, that was mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, so I have a scene where Cousin Pine helped me with the problem, and it has to involve Grandpa June. So I think I think Sister Winter, I think me and you, Cousin Pine, were on kind of fix-up duty. Every couple of weeks, we would have our turn to just kind of go around and patch up holes that needed patching, fix the little things that uh, that just need general upkeep around the community and we found despite moments of tension that we work pretty well together and so we're going around kind of doing a survey of who needs who needs what and we get to grandpa june's trailer and it's an old trailer it's it's rusty and it might it might have been silver once but now it's just mostly rust and there's an old screen door that's only hanging on one hinge, and we knock and it kind of slams precariously and Grandpa June, with his wild white hair comes out and we ask him if he has anything that needs doing and he tells us uh he tells us that uh that he's planning on uh on doing some cooking tonight. And he doesn't have anything that needs fixing, but he needs some, uh, some wood split to smoke some of the beef that we got fresh from the fields the other day. And he tells us a story of a creature that lives out in the woods. He thinks it might be Yarrow's sister or brother. Or aunt or uncle. It's some some kind of tree spirit. And if we go out there into the woods to get this wood for him, we better be careful of it and pay it due reverence. And he says, you need to bring it one green apple and one red apple, and you need to leave it at the foot of the tree that you're going to break the branches off of. And he gives us a red apple. And uh, we, have to, we have to go to the storeroom to get a green apple. But you know, Grandpa June, he, he might be lying, he might be weaving a tail, but we know that Yarrow exists, so it's not too far-fetched to, to believe that maybe there's another witch of the woods that protects this apple grove. So it's important that we do our due diligence and leave the proper offering, so we take these apples out. And we find relatively young apple tree, the kind that's good for, for getting smoke and wood. And, uh... I and mean, Sister Winter's got some survival skills, but not many. Cousin Pine's been spending all that time with Bill, learning how to, how to chop wood proper. And so it's Cousin Pine that does most of the work on this particular errand. Cutting the tree down, sectioning it off, cutting some logs. And then we leave a green and a red apple at the foot of the tree. And we say our thanks to Yarrow's sister, or brother, or aunt, or uncle, and we head on back and get ready for the party tonight. Great. So
2: now another memory. So Alrighty. you have the seven of cups and I have three of cups. Oh, perfect. No, oh. <laughs> That was fortuitous. So, yeah. Yeah. So I have your friend brought you to a party. Good thing you just said we were going to one. And so let's, I'm going to do that. The, the spring equinox in this community um, is always a, a very important party because it's a celebration of the rebirth of seemingly dead trees and dead flowers and and dead plants their rebirth and and resurrection from from the earth and from the trunks of trees and from the twigs and and from the buds so there's always a a big party in the circle inside the circle of trailers and usually people have small radios that they set up inside the trailers and it's usually pretty staticky. Um, we're, we're sort of in an area that doesn't get great radio reception. So the, the music that comes through the radios sort of goes in and out of focus. Like you'll hear part of a song and then it'll sort of static out um, into like part of a, a different channel. It might be somebody talking. Um, and then static back into the song and, and this sort of like disconcerting staticky, like going in and out of songs and, and talk radio is sort of going on in the background throughout the party, but it's important to have the music because there's, there are circle dances and during the circle dances, there's a sort of ritual where everybody does specific dance steps. And the person who lands on a particular stone in the circle during the dance steps, whoever lands on that at a certain rhythm uh, portion of the, of the dance is chosen to be the, the symbol of resurrection for that year and the way it works is that the entire community comes out with shovels and digs a uh, like a shallow grave in the center of the circle in the center of the community and whoever's chosen to be the the resurrected one is then very briefly buried in this shallow grave. So they sort of get into the shallow grave. Dirt is like heaped back over them, but so that they can still breathe, right? It's not like really piled up. And then there's another dance as everybody circles in the opposite direction around the one who's been buried. And then there's a a particular moment in the dance where the one who's been buried is then lifted back up out of the grave and shown to be alive. Um, and this is supposed to be a metaphor for the resurrection of all of the leaves to the trees, the flowers to the buds, all the plant life to the area. And what's strange about this. There are a few things that are strange about this. Um, one of them is that a lot of the trees, um, in this part of the forest are are actually evergreen trees. So there's like a weird disconnect between the actual natural phenomena that are going on in this part of, of the forests of Oregon and the sort of metaphor of the death and the rebirth of, of leaves and all of that. So there's this kind of strange, there's this kind of strange sense of, the metaphor of the ritual being weirdly out of phase with the natural environment and in a similar way to how the, the sound of the radios is out of phase with what's actually supposed to be broadcast. And the other strange thing of course, is that whoever is chosen for this has to be temporarily buried alive by their entire community. And so It came to pass that on this particular year, it was I, Cousin Pine, who landed on the stone. And I don't know exactly what happened to me, but as everyone was coming for me, as they all put their hands on me and started dragging me toward the shallow grave, it felt somehow like it wasn't a pageant anymore and like this was really happening i don't know if it was the eerie sound of the radio going in and out of focus or the strange perverse nature of this ritual for bringing back plant life that had never died but i i felt a well of panic rise in the center of my chest as they started to drag me towards this shallow grave. And I began screaming and I began struggling. And suddenly I was, I was kicking and clawing at people and I don't remember what happened, but I, I sort of ran in, in a blur of activity. And the next thing I knew, I I had run far into the woods.
0: So my scene is a time you lied to your friend. So I think after after cousin Pine ran off into the woods and then eventually came back. Calmer, but still I certainly unnerved, unsure of what happened. And the party is still going, and the community kind of just played it off like it was no big deal. They tell Cousin Pine that, you know, someone else took took his place and was buried and brought up, and we're going to have another good year of crops because of it. And Cousin Pine looks around and Sister Winter is nowhere to be found. And the next day, Cousin Pine finds Sister Winter and asks about where Sister Winter had been. And Sister Winter kind of just laughs and says, oh, I I had a little bit too much of Grandpa June's moonshine and it knocked me out. I was asleep by... But well before the, the start of the, the dances, fell asleep on the wave of those radios. And then there's a flashback to the night before. And we see the dance starting up. And we see Cousin Pine circling around. And on the outskirts of the circle of trailers, we see Bill. Dawn's father. And we see Sister June lock eyes with him and sneak off out of the circle of trailers back to Bill's truck with him. And they drive off down the bumpy road, and the stars are bright in the sky. And it fades away, and we fade back to Cousin Pine stepping on the stone right as the music cuts out. And we watch again as Cousin Pine begins to rip and tear at the hands that are holding him and scream. And we cut to the road a few miles down from the community. And we see Bill and Sister Winter in the back of Bill's truck, making love. And we cut back again to Cousin Pine running out into the forest. And then it's present time again, Sister Winter says again that I've got such a hangover, that that moonshine that Grandpa June makes. It's just, it's so strong.
2: Okay, we have one more memory. And let me give us cards. Good. (laughs) This is very, very good. Um, The, The deck is in our favor, apparently. Yeah, this is a very excellent outcome. I have the Queen of Cups Uh, I was just looking at the list. Your friend gave you romantic (laughs) advice. (laughs) I was hoping that was one of them. (laughs) Yep. And you have the two of cups you argued with your friend. So I will go first. As I was lying on my cot that night, I couldn't fall asleep. It was that night after the party, and... I kept playing in my mind everything that had happened, that feeling of panic, that feeling of the entire community's hands on me, that feeling of an inevitability of being buried in a shallow grave. And I was trying to piece out in my mind why it had caused me such distress when I knew, of course, that it was only a ritual, that I was not in any real danger. And as I flitted in and out of restless half-sleep, the image in my mind kept flickering back and forth between that scene of struggle and the shallow grave and the hands and the trailers and the radios to an image of Bill with his axe splitting wood And all of a sudden, it crystallized in my mind the horrible truth that I must be in love with Bill. And I was completely dumbstruck because how could I be in love with Bill? What would that even mean? This was 1972. And I just didn't even have any concept of the possibility of myself loving a man. Like, what What does that mean? It wasn't even something that was talked about in my house or in my school. It wasn't even that it was forbidden. It was just not a concept. And so I was completely bewildered. And... I, I couldn't think of what I should do. And so I I got up out of bed. I got out of my cot. My cot creaked as I stood up, and I tried not to wake any of the other people who were sleeping, in all of the cots lined up next to me. And I tiptoed out of the trailer I was sleeping in, and I just started walking to try to get some air, to try to clear my thoughts and make any sense of this strange realization that I'd had. And to my surprise, I, I saw sister winter sitting on a log drinking a mostly empty bottle of moonshine. And I came and I sat next to her and I, I said, sister winter what are you doing here i thought you had a hang what why what are you what's going on and sister winter just silently handed me the bottle of moonshine and so i took a drink and then she pulled another bottle out of a bag and soon we were drinking, we were drinking and laughing and we were talking like friends and it felt as if maybe all of this would blow over. Actually, maybe it didn't matter how I felt about bill or maybe the feelings that I had weren't real and didn't really mean anything. Maybe what happened at the party was just a weird fluke and everyone would forgive me and it didn't really matter. And maybe my friendship with sister winter wasn't actually as tense as I had imagined it was before because we were laughing and joking and, and talking about all of the gossips in the community and all of the weird cheese that Grandpa June likes to make and just sort of sharing friendship. And so in the wee hours of the morning, as the sun was starting to come up, pretty drunk by that point, I I made a half joke. That was really the truth. I I said to Sister Winter, What would you say if if I told you that, that I was in love with someone someone really surprising? And she was like, What, like who? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Like like what about Bill? And the way I said it, I, I said it trying to sound sarcastic or, or joking. But something in Sister Winter's eyes became very strange. And I knew in that moment that she saw that there was truth to what I was saying. And she became very somber in her face. And she waited a long moment. And then she said, There is only one way to fix this. You must get a potion from Yarrow the witch. You must destroy this strange love that is welling up in your heart. So mine
0: is uh, a time where you argued with your friend. So I think it's, it's months later and Cousin Pine got the potion from Yarrow and drank it. And it didn't work because a potion can can create something that looks like love, but it can't destroy it because nothing can destroy actual love. And in this time, Sister Winter has continued... Her relationship with Bill and has watched every time that Sister Winter and Cousin Pine went to pick up supplies, had noticed the look on Cousin Pine's face and knew that the potion didn't work and knew that Cousin Pine obviously still loved Bill. And in that time, too, I think that Cousin Pine and Bill, their relationship, had grown stronger. They had they had things to talk about. They had a connection that didn't exist between Sister Winter and Bill. Sister Winter, I think, loved Bill, but I think for Bill, it was just a physical relationship. And so as this time passed and Sister Winter saw this kind of deep connection growing between the two of them, She became more and more resentful, more and more angry that she didn't have this relationship with Bill. And so, finally, Bill is driving off in his truck. Dawn is sitting next to him. Sister Winter and Cousin Pine have the supplies that they just got dropped off. And Sister Winter turns to Cousin Pine And said, did you even, did you even try to drink the potion? Did you, did you try, did you even think of what this might do to me? And Cousin Pine didn't, at that point, even realize that there was a relationship between them. And Sister Winter, the smallest little bit of the facade she had knit together beginning to unravel, the whole thing just starts to come apart. And she starts screaming at cousin pine about how she loves bill and she knows that bill will never love her back because it's obvious to anyone that bill is in love with cousin pine and it's it's just going to kill her and she screams again and again did you even think of what this would do to me did you even think of what this would do to me and eventually it just becomes a completely a rational mess of screaming and sobbing. Sister Winter just unloading all of the resentment of the past months of watching this blossoming relationship between Bill and Cousin Pine to a point where she now is just, is, is kneeling on the ground, weeping. And I think Cousin Pine tries a few times to console her before realizing that it's just, Right now, there's nothing that will do it. There's nothing that will console Sister winter. And these supplies need to get back. Some of the some of the perishables need to go in the fridge. and we see Cousin Pine just pick up a few of the bags and begin walking back towards the circle.
2: Okay. these memories provoke a jolt of emotion so strong that I momentarily forget that I am dead. As I stand on the icy expanse, the cerulean gleaming ice sheet of the land of the dead, and watch the last glimmer of the ice that was before me drift off into the inky horizon. It's as if I am once again looking down into that shallow grave at the ritual, as if I can hear the swirling laughing sounds of all of the dancing community members over the din of the staticky, in constant radios and it's as if i am somehow peering back through that shallow grave from the earth up into the world and i see its darkness and i see it receding and For the first time since I've died, I feel temperature. I feel heat. I feel piercing fire through my chest. And the feeling is hatred. As I complete the ritual
0: of water, the weather begins to change. And I think the first thing I hear is actually not the weather, but a, a symptom of the weather. The windows of the shed that I am in shatter as hail and sleet begin to smash against them. And the sound of it is is bigger than glass shattering. It's like a cleft in the ice rumbling through. And then I'm surrounded by sleet and hail and it's, it's unusual because I can't feel the cold that is coming off of it. There seems to be just a lack of temperature to the air around me and I smell, I don't know how I know this, but I know that what I smell is the dirt of the grave. So we create the magical link. I will place my right index finger on the star coin and say, why is this object so important to you? And I think, I think it's important for two reasons, kind of a a literal reason and a metaphysical sort of reason. And the literal reason is that this branch is a branch off of Yarrow's tree. And this branch holds power. And I think that this branch is what gives me the ability to perform this summoning ritual. And as far as Sister Winter is convinced, this branch will give her the ability to control the spirit she summons this branch will give her the power she needs to become the leader of this group and it'll give her the power she needs to make bill love her. But it's also important because this too shall pass has become such an important concept for her over these last years, because she can survive anything for short periods of time. And all of time is just short periods of time strung together. And the one truth she has learned is that always, always this too shall pass.
2: There is a secret about this object that my friend does not know. After that fight that Sister Winter and I had about Bill, I waited a few days before approaching her again. And in those days, I had a change of heart. At first, I had really meant to console Sister Winter. But as I thought back on everything that had happened between us, from that first fight that she had with Todd, where I thought that she might really hurt him to that first time that she teased me about Dawn and tried to embarrass me in front of Bill to this breakdown that she had, this, this overflowing jealousy and spite that she was flinging at me when after all, wasn't she the one that got to share his bed and to hold him and she had everything. And and yet she resented me. And as these days passed, my heart began to turn against her. And I began to see her as the rival that she truly was. And so I went to Yarrow again, but this time I didn't ask her for a way to end my love for Bill. This time I asked her for a way to win him. And so she helped me cut a branch from her tree and she helped me carve a these words. This too shall pass. And she instructed me to tell Sister Winter some bright platitudes about how our troubles are but temporary, and that our friendship would heal once again after these slight stumbles, and that that was the meaning of the phrase. But carved into that wood was the intent to end their relationship, no matter what it would take.
0: So now we begin the ritual of fire. To summon the dead into conversation with the living, both friends recall the death. This section establishes the cause of death, or if it has already been established, adds complicating details. So I will invoke fire with the following three motions. First, to form an invoking pentagram of fire, place my finger on the spirit point of the pentagram. Then, moving towards fire, trace the entire pentagram with my finger. Second, move the star coin to the fire point of the pentagram. A word from beyond. Revenge. And finally, I will slide the circle coin around the circle counterclockwise.
1: Mm.
2: I am shuffling the rods. In this deck, they are rods. They are sometimes wands. And I am going to draw two cards. These correspond to the details in the fire legend that will... Give me two elements I must include in the details of how I died. And I have the four of rods, a wedding. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Well, we know where this is going. And the page of rods, a careless mistake. I never knew, even in death... Whether what Sister Winter did was premeditated or was simply the course of nature. But soon after our fight and our insincere reconciliation, it became clear that she was pregnant and Bill being an honorable man, regardless of how he might feel about her, agreed to marry her. The wedding not only sealed their fate as a couple and my fate as an outsider, but also brought Bill and Dawn fully into our community. Because Sister Winter was stubborn and persuasive and would not leave. And so there was a wedding and I was forced to watch. And I knew that I could not endure it without somehow trying to get my way. And so I took the text that Yarrow the Witch had prepared for me to activate the branch. And while everyone stood in a circle in the ring of trailers around the beautiful flower arrangements and the girls in pretty dresses and the men in their finest suits. I whispered in the back of my throat in a rasp the words of the incantation the words that would forever separate Sister Winter and Bill, but the spell did not work as I expected. Instead of, I don't know, some change of heart, some sudden interruption, I don't know what I thought would happen, but gathered together in the community, I saw my love, Bill, turn pale and strange. And I saw his limbs grow weak. And I saw his muscles relax that had once been so strong and taut And I saw his legs buckle and his knees fall to the ground. And as the community swirled around me and as Sister Winter's screams resounded in my ears, a flash of her hair whipping around me, and her hands at my throat, and her words. I know you did this. I know.
0: This is not anywhere near where I figured the story was going to go, uh-huh.
2: but I love it so much. <laughs>
0: Gotta keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so now I get two cards.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, okay. Let me draw your cards. So you get you get two cards. You're going to now describe this from your perspective. So this should be interesting. You get the nine of rods, a survivor, and the ace of rods, a noble decision. Oh Jesus <laughs>
1: This should be interesting.
2: All right.
0: There I am in my wedding dress. It's the the only thing I have left from my life before. From before Sister Winter. It is this, my mother's wedding dress. And I was surprised and, I think, overjoyed at the pregnancy because Cousin Pine had given me that branch. And when I found out I was pregnant, I knew that the branch was right. This too shall pass. Bill's distance from me ended when he found out that I was carrying his child. And here we were getting married in front of this, my new family. And yet, I couldn't help but feel a little bit bad for Cousin Pine because I knew what resided in his heart, this love for Bill, the pain it must cause to see me here marrying Bill. And then I'm I'm screaming as I watch Bill fall to his knees, die slowly. And I see, at the same time, Cousin Pine. And it looks like he's crying. And the last thing I remember, the way I remember it at least, is that Bill didn't die He'll never die He's eternal as our love But I saw I saw Cousin Pine weeping And I knew that there was only one thing That I could do I had to set him free I knew that a lifetime of watching The happiness of Bill and I Of my child growing up to look more and more like their father it would be a slow death for Cousin Pine and I loved Cousin Pine too much to let that happen and that's why I wrapped my hands around his neck it was out of love it was out of so much love Yes. (laughs)
2: In response to these memories, I am starting to catch a glimpse back into the world of the living. I don't see Sister Winter in the shed doing the ritual. No. Instead, I see Bill lying on a cot wrapped in a olive green army blanket sipping some kind of soup the ruddiness already returning to his cheeks I see his curly thick beard the strength of his brow his sideburns the muscles of his shoulders and in this moment i i almost feel at
0: peace as i complete the ritual of fire hints of the dead realm are gathering within the circle sister winter sits there in the ground begins to crack apart and when she looks down there's this odd kind of dissonance because the the ground itself still looks like dirt but when she looks into the cracks it's this deep cerulean blue and steam is rising up but it is not warm and the icy crags are not cold it is just nothing And as she looks over to the cot where for these last few months she has kept the corpse of her one true love, Bill, she sees signs of life begin to return to his body. And for a moment, she feels at peace. So now we move into summoning the dead. So I think it's only been about a month Since maybe two months since Cousin Pine died and Bill died. And ever since then, Sister Winter's life has become about this moment. She kept Bill's body out in the shed, and she began gathering the materials she would need to perform this ritual. She stole... Bits of ephemera and knowledge from Yarrow. She asked Grandpa June stories of how, back in the old times, they might conjure a spirit. She gathered all of these bits of esoteric lore and arcane pieces so that on this night she could summon forth cousin pine and try to bend this empty world to her will i turn the star coin back over on the fire point of the pentagram i place my finger upon it and i say beloved cousin pine thou who perished by mine own hands through This yarrow branch, I conjure thee. Beloved cousin pine, thou who perished by mine own hands, through this yarrow branch, I conjure thee. Beloved cousin pine, thou who perished by mine own hands, through this yarrow branch, I conjure thee.
2: And when I appear... In the circle of salt in the shed, I am entirely frozen, and my skin is blue, and I smell of snow and ash.
0: Cousin Pine, I have... I have missed you all these months. There is much we need to do in this world, and I need, I need the power that you can bring from the realm of the dead. First, first to bring back Bill, and then to make this world ours.
2: You have taken from me everything that was dear and true, and I will take from you Your very soul.
0: And now we enter into the ritual of air. Where the living and the dead draw weapons for the final battle. I will invoke air with the following three motions. First, forming an invoking pentagram of air. I will place my index finger on the water point of the pentagram. And moving towards air, I will trace the entire pentagram. Second, I will move the star coin
2: to the air point of the pentagram. A word from beyond, icicles.
0: And finally, I will slide the circle coin around the circle counterclockwise to the east.
2: Okay, I have shuffled the swords, and here is how this will work. I am going to give us each four cards. This is the available weapons in our battle. You can only use three, so you'll have three turns with these, so you have an extra one. um, And these correspond to the air legend. And... Each weapon card has a literal meaning and an abstract meaning. And you may choose which you prefer to use when you play the card. So you don't have to decide in advance. All right. So you have, you have the five of swords, which is hand-to-hand combat or intimidation. You have the six of swords, which is a map of the Dead Realm, or travel. You have the Knight of Swords, which is an animal, or passion. And you have the Page of Swords, which is a shield, or what your friend does not know. And I have the Nine of Swords, which is a candle, or nightmares. I have the Ten of Swords, which is community allies or solidarity. I have the ace of swords, which is an enchanted sword or a higher authority. And I have the four of swords, which is a rune covered box or prayer. So I will go first. I am using the nine. And you hear a horrible creaking and snapping sound as I struggle to raise my arms from my sides to above my head. And there's a cracking of ice and shards of blue flake off the side of my body. And as I raise my hands in the air, all of the candles that are arranged around the circle go out and you are in pitch darkness.
1: Hmm.
0: So I think I'm going to use my night. and as Cousin Pine reels up in this nightmarish figure and puts out the candles... There is from the darkness this kind of piteous moaning sob. And Sister Winter says, I, I loved him so much. All I ever wanted was him. And there's this sound almost of Velvet being softly split as Sister Winter takes a shard of glass from the broken windows and stabs it into her arm. And it is silent for a moment. And then there is this red light that flows out of her arm as her passion turns her very blood to light and droplets of blood spread out and go to each of the candles and each candle is reignited in this deep blood
2: red light I am going to use the four of swords prayer in my frozen hands materialize in one hand a green apple and in the other a red apple you can smell the apples they are fresh and bright and I say by these woods I invoke the spirit of the trees. But nothing happens yet.
0: I am going to use the page, What Your Friend Does Not Know. And in this eerie red light, Sister Winter is sitting there, and she looks so small. And so frail. It's hard to believe that this is the manipulative creature we've seen in so many of these moments. And she lets out a sob as more of this iridescent red blood flows from her arm. And she says, Cousin, cousin Pine, he loved you too. He loved you so much. He told me that on the morning of our wedding.
2: And a look of shock appears on the icy face of Cousin Pine. Shock at what Sister Winter has said, or from nothing materializes in the circle First vines, then branches. They swirl to form a shape. It is somehow just as Grandpa June had described this tree spirit. It has in its gestures, something of the gestures of Yarrow the witch And yet, when it fully blooms into the figure of a man, it is unmistakably Bill. All right. I think based on
0: what we have seen of Sister Winter so far, I think that... This is the one I wasn't thinking I was going to use, but uh, you threw me for a loop. So, I'm going to use my five hand-to-hand combat. Yes. And I think that at seeing Bill again and realizing, at least to her mind, that Bill was never... Actually, real, but was just the woods having their way with the people that live within them. Sister Winter just begins to cry and scream and just launches herself at the form of Bill and begins to just claw at his face and his eyes. And all of the things that made him beautiful, she wants to destroy. And it's not necessarily effective, but she just claws and she claws and she claws.
2: So now we have to make a decision. First, move the the star point to the spirit point of the pentagram. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: A word beyond. Bear trap. So, I'm going to float a prospect, and you can tell me your thoughts. But I think that in order to claw at Bill, the tree spirit, it seems like Sister Winter would have to step into the circle. What do you think? I would concur. In which case... I think that she will be trapped. But you may have another idea.
0: No, that sounds all right. I mean, I definitely... I I think that Sister Winter lost this altercation. Yeah. Because I think that, like, she thought she was prepared. Yeah. But then in seeing Bill, she kind of just let all of it go.
2: Yeah. I mean, what... What seems to be the case from, from my perspective is that really the, the tree spirit the, that lives in the woods has effectively claimed both of them for the land of the dead. I think that sounds right. And that perhaps it's, it's not entirely clear what, what Yarrow the Witch is, but if, if anybody has claimed anyone's soul... It is perhaps Yarrow the witch, or the tree spirit who is Bill, or their combined energies that have seduced and perverted the the emotions and desires and jealousies and and sort of brought ruin upon both friends.
0: Yeah, I definitely I think the victor, the true victor
2: of this game, was the forest. (laughs) I think so too. I think the the tr- the woods have have actually won in this one, which is interesting because I've I have not yet played. I've played Dead Friend now a good, definitely more than fifty times, and I've never had the woods <laughs> win the game. <laughs> so I, well, I'm glad that I could bring something <laughs> new to this. I'm I'm into it. I'm actually really into the woods winning. <laughs> Seems right. Yeah. So in that case, I think we can do the epilogue together. Yeah, I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. yeah. So, so we have this moment, I think, of of Sister Winter clawing and cl- like stepping into the circle to claw at the figure of the spirit of the woods who is Bill, and just like... maybe she as she's flailing and clawing her, her arms and her body all start to freeze. And she, she's sort of progressively frozen into the same like cerulean blue until like the whole, the whole circle fades out and she's been absorbed into this ice dimension. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and I think we get a moment when first she begins to freeze that maybe we see a look of triumph on Cousin Pine's face Mm -hmm. until he feels his limbs begin to stiffen again.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And both are drugged down into this icy chasm and we see a tree that looks like it's made entirely of that cerulean blue ice. And hanging from it are two pristine apples, one red and one green.
2: And there's no one else there. Just just Cousin Pine and Sister Winter. Hmm. That was really good. Yeah, that was very good. That was a very interesting (laughs) one. Yeah, and, you know, everybody who's listening at home, you can pick this up. It's um, Dead Friend, a game of necromancy. If you Google it, you should find it, but it's on drivethroughrpg.com. And follow me on Twitter. I post about game design, like, constantly. So it's um, Otheogony, O-H underscore T-H-E-O-G-O-N-Y.
0: And I'm. this is probably launching not too long from when we're actually recording it, but uh, a reminder for everyone to keep an eye out this fall for uh, the Kickstarter for Visigoths vs. Malgoths. Yes.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you again, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful night.
2: Thanks, you too.
0: Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to You Are Not Alone. Thank you to Lucian Khan for both designing the amazing game we played, but also for being the guest. Pick up Dead Friend over on Drive-Through RPG. You will not regret it. Our theme is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join me on April 23rd when I sit down to play Dogs in the Vineyard with NSK Bash. Until then, remember that you are strong. You are beautiful, and you are not alone.